of a new year, beginning with the Rosh Hashanah, which means that in the case of this source, it's a time for some serious, deep reflection, some very profound thinking about the matters that really count ultimately, about ultimate issues. One of those subjects is characteristic of Rosh Hashanah. And I'm using that as a peg to hang my hat on, as an entree into my being. And that is the subject of Malchus, the sovereignty of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Malchus, as you all well know, is one of the three major parts of the Musaf of Rosh Hashanah. Now, the concept of Malchus is fundamental to Yahadus, one of the most important subjects of Yahadus. HaKadosh Baruch Hu as Melech HaOlam, as the king, the sovereign of the entire universe. Incidentally, this theme is also one of the explanations of the Minig of Tashlach, because the coronation, the Meshicha of the king was done near a brook of running water, and therefore on Rosh Hashanah, when we have the crowning of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as it were, then this theme of Malchus too, is achieved near running water and therefore the Tashmah. Now, in Rosh Hashanah itself, we find that the concept of HaKadosh Baruch Hu as Melech HaOlam, the, the uh, king of the universe, is emphasized frequently by contrast with an earthly king, the Melech Elyon and the Melech Evion. If there's any speaker there who wants to compete with me, I'm very courteous. I'll allow you to speak first. Melech Malchei Hamlochim and the Melech Basavadam. When Shmuel Hanavi reacted with anger and resentment against his contemporaries, the Jews of his generation, who wanted a king, the Kachalagayim, the main reason was that he felt that a melech, Basar Vadam, a, a human king with all the trappings of royalty, would, would represent a, a rejection and a diminution of the kovod of the melech Elyon of HaKadosh Baruch Hu as the king of the world. And that he could not abide. And I believe that if we take this theme of king of Malchus, then we can find a veritable treasure of Hashkafet, a, a treasure house of various ideas in the words of Chazal, in Halakha and in Parashonas, on the whole subject of human kings, um, or the whole range of mitzvahs which limited a monarchy in Yahadut and said that a king is never absolute. In other words, a place to look for Hashkafat Yadis is in the Halakha on Hilkos Malachim. And therefore, I'd like to recommend to you and share with you a, a marvelous parish um, by one of the great Targumim, great, great translators of Tanakh into, into Aramaic. And I'm talking, of course, about the Targum that is attributed to one of the Gedolei HaTanayim, Abionisim Ben Azir. In Shoftim, we read the following halakha, one of those that circumscribe the rights of the king. We read, A king is not allowed to have many horses in his stable, 
and he shall not return the Jewish people to Mitzrayim. The man Harbosus said the result of having uh, trying to get more horses, Egypt was a place of a trained horses, steeds. And Akadosh Baruch told you, you shall not return this way anymore. A prosecutor all him. The king is not allowed to have many horses because if he does, he will return the people to Mitzrayim. What is the relationship between having many horses and going back to Mitzrayim? Targum Yonasim Benazio says as well. Lechud, however, the king is not allowed to have more than two horses. Another Nusrat that says one horse, it's a Machokis, Bafli, Rishami, whatever. But certainly not more than two horses. King is not allowed to have more than two horses. Because if he had this, then the Lord, the big people, the important people, will ride on horses. These Gowan, and they will become proud and arrogant, is going from Gaipa. These Batlan, these Gomeyorites. And they will, this will result in Bittul Torah. They will stop learning. And if they have Bittul Torah, then the Onesh for Bittul Torah is back into Golis Mitzrayim. Very interesting. And God says not to go back to Mitzrayim. Therefore, therefore, if you have too many horses, you become a Balgaiva. If you become a Balgaiva, you will, you will be Mabatul Torah. If you're Mabatul Torah, you have the Onesh of Chazon of Mitzrayim, and that is verboten, that is out, Kodesh Baruch said not to do. So the Targum Yonison has here an interesting progression that it lays down as the basis for this puzzle. The progression is too many verses leads to Gaiva, Gaiva leads to Bittu Torah, Bittu Torah leads to going back to Mitzrayim. Now, I understand the first part of these three things. I understand why too many horses leads to Gaiva. You know people who have uh, two Rolls Royces, one Mercedes Benz, and a few Cadillac flying around, then you understand why too many horses, which is the ancient version of, of too much automotive splendor today, can lead to Gaiva. If you have a great deal, then you're a Gaiva. Yeah. Right? Hasidic Rebbe once said, it's so easy for a poor man to believe in a Kodesh Baruch And it's so difficult for a rich man. A poor man comes home, he has nothing. What should he have faith in? He has faith in a Kodesh Baruch a rich man comes home, he has a palace. He just came driving, as we said, in a very, very fancy car. He has a heavy stock portfolio. There's so much to rely upon that he fools himself into thinking he doesn't have to rely on a Kodesh Baruch So I understand if there are, a man has many possessions, which in that period, of, sometimes in our contemporary period, is, is expressed by having too many horses. It should lead to a sense of self-sufficiency and a sense of guidance. That I understand. I don't understand the other two parts. Number one, why does Gaiva cause Bittu Torah? Number two, why does Bittu Torah lead to the Onesh of going back into Golis Mitzrayim? So let me take them one by one. The relationship between Gaiva and Bittu Torah that we find in this Targum Yonatan is really the negative formulation of something that's well known to all of us. In Pirkei Avos, actually the, the last period, which is not Mishnayat, but I said the Sefta, we're told that one of the 48 ways of Kinyan Torah, one of the 48 ways in which a person gets acquired Torah, is Anova. But Targum Yonison is saying is the opposite. 
But if you have Gaiva, you, you don't have Kenyan Torah, you have Bishop Torah. Why? Very simple. Because Talmud Torah requires complete, total, comprehensive concentration. Talmud Torah, Torah is not nicknamed, is not acquired casually. You can't do it while standing on one leg, despite the hetzel that Hillel gave to that famous gear. Hetzel Hadas is not the way to become a Talmud Torah. If you learn, you've got to banish from your mind all side thoughts, all of the peripheral perturbances that go on in the mind of a person. You've got to empty your mind of everything and fill it only with Torah. What is the bracha that we make on Torah? There's a separate bracha for Luma. What is Lasok mean? There are many Pedushim. Lasok means to be busy with. Not only do you learn, not only do you concentrate on a text in front of you, on a Kasha, on a Terrace, on a Mishnah, Gemara, on Ambam, but it, the rest of your mind, the penumbra, the shadow of your, of your mind, is also filled with Torah. Lasok means it's an asik, it's, it's an entire business, your whole mind is occupied. In Hebrew it's very interesting, sometimes the same root has two opposite meanings. The word liskol means to stone, and lisakel means to take out stone. Not exactly in the same way, the word lasok is the exact opposite of a similar word that is a halachic construct, misasek. Misasek means to be scatterbrained. To do things without even knowing what you're doing. Torah requires osek, never misasek. You can't be kona Torah as a misasek. If Torah is just another course that you're taking, forget it. You're not going to get very far. Torah requires total concentration. Chazal said, "Ain't a Torah nikdeis on a b'misha osa asmo hefker k'midbar." You want to be a London, you have to make yourself as hefker, as ownerless as a desert. A desert has nothing there. No permanent establishments, no permanent roots, no, nothing is there. Your mind has to be empty when you approach Torah and empty from all disturbing thoughts, all secondary thoughts, all other considerations, so that you can learn. Now, what is an anav? How do you define an anav? An anav simply is a person who is not always involved with his own ego. He is not always concerned with his ego, egotistical uh, interests, and these egotistical, selfish interests do not occupy center stage of his own thinking and his own consciousness. The Balgaiva is reversed. The Balgaiva, no matter what he does and what he thinks, the only real thing, the only real concern that he has is I, ego, I. Is it good for me? Is it bad for me? Is it pleasurable for me? Or is it painful for me? Is it going to advance me or is it not going to advance me? He is Mamid Selam Behechel. Puts up a statue, a, a pagan statue in the Hechel, in the in the, in the Besamikrish. And the statue bears a remarkable resemblance to himself. Therefore, a person who is Nishal in the sin of Gava, of arrogance, whether it's because he has too many horses, or too many good grades, or too many good looks, or whatever it might be. A person who, for whatever reason, is a Balgaiva, will in the end be Mevatel Torah. Because Gava and Talmud Torah are two opposites. They are both rivals for center stage in a person's awareness. It's true that there are people who are Bene, who are Tabidi Chachamim and also Balgaiva, but that is a separate discussion. 
certain psychological and moral qualifications. Generally, if you're a Balgaiver, there's not enough place left in your life and your consciousness to give total concentration on Torah. And therefore, if you are a Balgaiver, the result is you are a Mubatal Torah. And hence, a king who was over and above Sim, who had too many possessions, too much display, too much ostentation, becomes a Balgaiver. If he becomes a Balgaiver, so called Liptol Mitora, as he tells me, then the end will have to be Mubatal Torah. So that's the first part. The second part tells us that if you Mubatal Torah, there's an Onish. And here there's a great, great concept that lies hidden that requires explication. The Onish is Golis Mitzrayim. Yitzhak Mitzrayim was the greatest turning point in Jewish history. It's celebrated, as we all know, by Kama Bahama Mitzvahs, which are Zechel Yitzhak Mitzrayim, whether it's Shabbos or it's Pesach or it's Tzitzit or it's many of the, many of the Benodim Lachaveru Mitzvahs are Zechel Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Now, Yitzhak Mitzrayim had certain innate values. In and of itself, it was important. It was important. It freed on Yisrael. But it is not ultimate. Yisrael Mitzrayim, although it has its own importance, serves a higher goal. And that higher goal is Talmud Torah, or Sinai. Whereas in itself it's important as a revolution against a tyrant and freedom and liberty, but freedom and liberty and revolution against an autocrat are not the highest level. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Moshe Rabbeinu very early in his career, by Tziyacha Esa Omni Mitzrayim Ta'avdun Esa Lokim Al Hahar Hazeh. I am going to have you take out Amyusor Mi Mitzrayim in order to come to this mountain to Har Sinai, there to be Uvdei Hashem from thence and forevermore. If any of you uh, remember, I would be overly flattered if you did, the shear that I gave last year on Sfiris Omer, that was one of the themes. That Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim has its own value, but it has also the service and more ultimate function, that of Salmatar. Now, since the essence of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is a preparation for Kabbalah Torah, then therefore someone who is Mevatel Torah, someone who is Mevatel Torah, what he does is he reverses the entire process. Instead of going from Mitzrayim to Talmud Torah, by being Mevatel Torah, he causes a regression, a reverse flow. And therefore, a person who denies the goal, denies the means. What you have here is a, a person who denies Torah, is a person who undoes that which leads to Torah. Hence, a person who is Mevatel Torah has to go back to Mitzrayim. Because the whole purpose of leaving Messiah was for Torah. If you deny Torah by being the battle Torah, whether for guys or any other reason, then you have to go back to Messiah because the Yetzirah Messiah was obviously ineffective in your case. From what? So we have an explanation of both parts, of really three parts, of the Targum and the Zion. Too many possessions, too much wealth, too much display, too much ostentation leads to Gaiva. Gaiva because it occupies because your, your, your mind is too filled with yourself, you're misathek, it's reflexive, your, your, your ethic is with yourself, means you don't have a place for full concentration on Torah, and if you are a battle Torah, you deny that for which your theist design came about, and hence the onish is to go back to the design. 
What does it have to do with Talmudim in the yeshiva? I'm going to ask your indulgence if I get some practical consequences. The first thing it means is that a Talmud Chacham, someone who's a, who's a Ben Torah, or at least a Talmud of Torah, has to strive for a Zikul Hamidos, for character. You can't have Torah without character. You can have it, but it's abominable, it's reprehensible, it's disgraceful. Torah demands that it should be Mezakeh Es Hamidos. It should clarify, purify, elevate, and ennoble one's conduct and one's character. Now, just as Gaiva is an equal for Talmud Torah, it denies Talmud Torah, every Midorah, every kind of reprehensible trait or characteristic of egoism, of insensitivity, of indifference and apathy towards others will, in the end, result in Bittu Torah. Maybe not by Bittu Torah making you not study, but the Torah that you learn will be sterile. It won't do for you what Torah puts it to you, which is to elevate and to ennoble. And because of this, I would like to bring a, here at the, at the threshold of this new year, both in the yeshiva and the new year for Yisrael and for the whole world, a couple of things, three items, that I, I hope will permit me to share with you. First, for students who have been here before, which is the overwhelming majority, there are new students coming into yeshiva. They are sitting here, maybe they aren't here, but they're around. And I would like all of us who were here earlier to make a special effort of sensitivity, to be open and give a warm feeling of welcome to new students. You know, to come to a new school sometimes means that you feel lost. You don't always show it, certainly don't always articulate it, but it can be a bit overwhelming. You cut yourself off from old friendships, you're coming here by yourself, maybe with one or two others. You don't quite know your way around. Some of you, some of students who come from out of town may feel lonely, lonesome, and being away from home. A number may feel diffident and very insecure about being able to succeed and do a program, which is the, after all, the essence of what we're all about. Try to sensitize yourself to those feelings in your career. And if you're truly B'nai Torah, it'll make of you mensch, make of you much more sensitive, especially to people who have that feeling of solitude. Second, there's a phenomenon that I've noticed that I think is really not worthy of Talmudim of the Yeshiva, and that's a tendency towards stereotyping. Really a tendency towards stereotyping. I've seen it done by, that I mean stereotyping a fellow student. You stereotype somebody by the Jewish Studies Division he attends, whether it's MYP or JSS or IBC or Bernard Rebel or the Colo. Each and every one has with it certain negative stereotypes. And that's dreadful. It's absolutely dreadful. We stereotype our Haverim by the Israeli yeshiva they went to. Each one purportedly has its own positives, but we relish more the negatives. We, we stereotype by the high school that our Talmudim went to, by the college major, by their dress style. That's terrible. It's terrible because stereotyping, what is stereotyping? Really, it means that you deny another human being his individuality, uncritically. And you ascribe to that person 
certain qualities of a collectivity which may not be his. You have denied such a person a mysterious active moral autonomy, that he is who he is and nobody else. Why? Because you put him as part of a larger type. But that's, that's wrong. Such a denial of, of individuality to a fellow man means you, you have denied his authenticity as a human being. And that's indicative of arrogance and egocentricity. A guy that's right. It means, I know that I am special. I am different. I may dress in a blue suit instead of a black suit. I may wear a tie instead of going with my shirt flared open. I may come from one school or another, from this yeshiva or that yeshiva, this major or that major, but I am who I am. I'm autonomous. I'm a person. But somebody else? No. Somebody else I categorize only by the school he went to or what he wears or the friends he has or his college major. That's wrong. If I do not want to be part of the faceless crowd, I must not do it to somebody else. Now let me share to you finally a pet peeve of mine. I have been brooding over this for many years and I decided this is the time I'm going to go public with it. It happens to me almost every day. I walk into an elevator, generally a first floor, but it happens any place. Some meet them walk in. And sometimes I wait. Look at them from the side of their eyes, look straight ahead, like soldiers guarding Buckingham Palace. Not a hello, not a good morning, not a good afternoon, not a good evening. Maybe I deserve that kind of indifference. But I have faculty members are there, and if they are not there, secretaries are there. And I wait. A Talmud should turn around and say, Good morning, Good morning, Dr. Good morning, Rabbi Lipschitz. Good morning, Dr. Weedhorn. Good morning, Mrs. So and so, Mrs. So and so. No. As if, as if we are a little. I am totally unconnected one to the other. Mishnah and Ovis says, Rabbi Matisyah ben Kharesh may have a maktim b'sholayim l'cholodam. Always be the first to greet somebody else. I generally do, but sometimes I test. The Gemara and Brachas. Amruwala b'Rabbi Yechonim ben Zakkai. Rabbi Yechonim ben Zakkai, the man who built Yavna, the head of the Sanhedrin, the great Rabbi Yechonim ben Zakkai. He would walk to the yeshiva in the morning to the Vesperish or to the Sanhedrin. He greeted everyone, even a guy walking in the street, even an ordinary peasant. But why shouldn't our Talmudim say good morning to a yeshiva? Or to a teacher? Or to any adult who walks? Or to each other? <coughs> to each other, I notice there's more, there's less reluctance than my own. I understand. I understand. Most of the shyness. I'm sure that there's no discourtesy attendant. But I think that Zikru Hamidos and demonstrating that there's no gaiva would call would call upon us to overcome our shyness and at least don't have a long conversation. Say hello, how are you? It's one of the midas that Hazal cherished. Zikru Hamidos is one. The second item. Our yeshiva is built on one central theme. One, the one central thing that gives us our uniqueness, and that is Torah Umada. A great deal has been spoken, a great deal has been written about it, and it's still not enough. I'm hopeful that more will be written and spoken about it in the time to come. But from what we've read, what we've learned from the Targum Yenison that I've quoted, I think we can come to certain other conclusions, additional conclusions. And that is that Torah and Mada have a common 
something in common with each other. A, if they have a sad hashavah in the way that, that we learn them, that we acquire them. And there's another way in which they are totally different. Since both Torah and, I use the word mother because we're used to it, I really don't like that word. The correct word from Chazal is Chachma, both in Chazal and in, 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 uh, in Rambam. Chachma means the Chachma Zahonim, but we'll use them interchangeably. Since the two of them, Torah and Chachma, Torah and Mother, contain intellectual material, you know, thinking material, it is understandable that there should be a common cognitive approach, a common way of learning, a common way of perceiving the material, whether the material is one or the other, but the material is, is common, it's, it's unified in this sense. Therefore, whether you're learning Torah or you're learning Chachma, what it requires is a great deal of hard work, a great deal of Hatmada, nothing is easily gotten. Once you've gotten it, easily forget about it, it's not worth knowing in the first place. And a great deal of, of intellectual application, and material message. And therefore, we are required to approach both Torah and Chachma seriously, Seriously, with dedication, and with readiness to work hard. Now, I've spoken often on our yeshiva's approach to Torah and Mada, and the Ikar, major principle is this. The Chachma Ta'olam, secular studies to have a divine source. They have a divine source. Of course they have a divine source. If you learn how the cell operates, if you learn how the principles of music if you learn anything in Chachmatol, where does it all come from? The Kosmakadosh Baruch If indeed, Limud HaTorah, as it were, is attached to Sefer Shemot, where you read about Mat Matan Torah and Yiddish Shina and Har Sinai, Limud HaTorah begin with Sefer Bereshit. The Briya Sa'olam, the creation not only of the natural world, but the beginning of human history, of the universal human history. Kulam Meiroa Echad Nitzit. All the world ultimately issues Chachmatol Baruch But nevertheless, there is a vast difference between them. Torah has one exclusive quality that is not shared by any of the Mazda, any of the Chokmas of the world. And that is, it comes from the highest realms of Elokut. It is the closest, most immediate way to HaKadosh Baruch. It is true that all the other Chokmas of the world also have their own value, their innate value, and they too have a divine origin, but never the same level of Kedusha as Torah itself. The two of them, Torah and Chachma, may be identical intellectually, or the way we perceive them epistemologically, but they are totally different psychologically, morally, and spiritually. According to the Chachmi HaKabbalah, the origin of Torah is in the Ein Sof itself, which means the very essence of Alakut. Whereas everything else in the world, the phenomenal world, the world we deal with daily, has a, an origin also in the divine spheres, but much lower down on the scale. So that the chachmas of the world form for us the substrate, the, 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 the infrastructure of Kedusha. But they are not Kedusha. They remain whole compared to Torah. They remain whole compared to Torah, until, until someone is Mekadesh them and elevates them and ennobles them. The Chachmas of the world are, as it were, Mufanim. They are prepared for the act of Kedusha, 
But this Kedusha does not come to Mela, does not happen in and of itself. What does it require? It requires an act of Kiddush. Those of you who know that book know that I'm simply rephrasing it. It requires an act of Kiddush, an act of sanctification. How does that sanctification of the Chokmas of the world take place? Well, one of them is by carrying out, implementing the Chokmah of the world in accordance with the own Hashem, which means improving the quality of human life, making society a better, more just, and happier place to live in, contributing to Yishuv Ha'olam, to civilization in a decent, proper manner. But you do this in any sphere of life, and you do it as a way of being Mekadosh, the Chol, the Chachma, so the Chachmas of the world rise to a higher level through this application. The second way is, when you study them, if you study as a ben if when you study the Chachmas Ha'olam, you don't study it as if it were something totally separate. But while studying it with its own methodology, you do it as a human being who is imbued with Torah, and with the kavana of that, what you are, that you are engaged in this study in order to be Maulah and the Kaddish, then you're not just learning English literature, you're not just learning art, you're not just learning chemistry, but you are changing the world somehow. You are being meaningful, you are elevating it. So that one who engages in Torah is not merely engaged in an intellectual activity. But when you learn Torah, you're standing in, 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 in the presence of a Kaddish Baruch, an unmediated, this is the, the essence of what uh, many of the Gedolei HaKabola have said, that when you learn Torah, it is the closest way you can stand in an unmediated, nothing to interrupt between you and a Kaddish Baruch. Whereas when you learn the Chachmet HaOlam, and they are very important, still it requires an act of Kiddush to raise them to a higher level. Now this, if you think about it now, really follows exactly the model, the pattern of Yitzhiyat Mitzrayim and Matantar. Yitzhiyat Mitzrayim for itself has innate value, it has historical value, it has great social value. It means something in its own, but it's never ultimate. It, it, it reaches its fulfillment only after Matantar. If you have Matantar, if you have Mitzrayim, you have Sinai, then you see if the Siam is fulfilled not only for its innate value, but it has attained its higher value. The same thing is true about the Ludei Chol and the Ludei Kodesh. Yes, the Ludei Chol have their own value. In our yeshiva, we don't follow the attitude of Pitu with regard to secular study. Nor do I believe that secular study should be engaged in because it's a way of making parnasah. If that were the only reason we engage in secular studies, you can make more money becoming a plumber. But they are important for their own right. But their own right is at a much lower level than the level of Torah. Their importance comes because of the, their engagement in the, in the whole arena, the whole miraculous arena of the Bria. But in the end, the Chachmah Sa'olam remain aridim. They remain sterile and impotent and alone. If we are not Makadesh them, through our application to Talmud Torah. The message is clear then for us, the Talmudim of our yeshiva. It means we have got to pursue our college studies, our secular studies, the Chachmas HaOlam, the Mada of our, of our stay here, not only to become consumers of culture, but to become creators of culture, to become leaders, to become, become people who are, who are Kovea, but never Chas 
for anyone to forget, no matter what your career plans are, that Yetzirah Mitzrayim must lead to Har Sinai, that Chokmah must lead to Torah, that that remains the central mission, not only of the yeshiva, but of our lives, all our lives, individually and collectively. And Talmud Torah requires, as we said before, concentration. When we do it, it should never be done casually, but Mesilas Nefesh. I am not satisfied for a Talmud to come here and to leave to say that he is acquainted with Jewish studies. That is a declaration of bankruptcy. You can become acquainted with Jewish studies by buying a couple of books and going to the CUNY or Harvard or any place else. That's not we are here to create new characters. We are here to create new personalities through Torah and with Torah so that whatever else you learn has a different time, has a different dimension, and becomes a part of the whole drama of Kedusha. So at the end of the season of Malchus, I hope that these particular thoughts and ruminations about another boss of the and the Yarbala Susan, about the relation of Gava to Torah and the importance of Torah compared to Yetzirah, Matan Torah compared to Yetzirah with Zion, and its equivalent of the Muda Urm, Muda Kodesh, or Samuel with death. I want to add one thing separate from what I've just said, and that's just a few words of an Eitzah Tova on Dake Alimud for the coming year. And this has to do with the Masechta that the Yeshiva is doing, and I'll be brief. I assume you've all thought exhibits. If you're learning something else in preparation for the Yeshiva, we will be getting And I think most of you have begun to learn that day already. The Gemara discusses the whole subject of Ones to Eaton. The whole subject of Eaton, what is the halachic treatment of Ones? And the Gemara says that Loba O ain't Ones to Eaton, which means the man gave a get to his wife all tonight, and he didn't keep the condition. He said, This is your get if I don't do such and such. And he didn't do it. But the reason he didn't do it was because of an Ones, it was an accident. Then we discard the idea of an accident, and we say we don't care what the reason is, he didn't do it, then it's a get. Ain't honest to get, we do not consider the taina of honest when it comes to a get. The Gemara, in discussing the whole subject of ain't honest to get, brings proof that ain't honest to get. It says as follows Ahud the Amalahu, there was a man who said to a or to his wife, if I don't come, here is a get, he says to his wife, and there's a condition. If I do not return in 30 days, this is a get. If I do return in 30 days, it's not a get. On day number 30, he shows up. But he's not in his home. The little stream that was there before has become a big flood. There's no ferry. There's no way to cross. And the river disturbs him. He can't cross. And the question is, he's an omen. So he stands on the other side of the river. Omelo, Kazuda, Soya, Kazuda. Say, look, I'm here, I'm here. Let's see, look. I've come. What is the halacha? Has he come or has he not come? Do we consider that if he crossed the river because he's standing there saying, I've come and I don't want it to be a guest? The halacha is lo shmei matia. It's not called coming. He has not fulfilled the tonight. And therefore, Ishtar Mugodeshev, and she is divorced. So, since we say that even though there was an onus, an accident happened, nevertheless, we don't consider it, and we take only the facts as they are, we don't regard reasons or excuses, therefore it's true that ain't onus begins. And the Gemara continues, maybe it's an onus, a shriya, not shriya, whatever maybe. 
the Mishpat quotes the Sefer Aguda, one of the Kadmonim. Sefer Aguda says the following promise. Listen to this. I swear that I'm going to pay on a certain day. And at the beginning of that day, I couldn't pay. But I was lazy. The beginning of the day, I didn't pay, even though I knew about it, because simply I was lazy. I had no bad thoughts. But at the end of the day, I simply forgot about the whole thing. So the beginning of Yom Shloshim, the start day of Yom Shloshim, the end of Yom Shloshim, Shocha. And then the next day he wakes up and discovers that he made a mistake. Did he violate the Shavuah or not? Is it an onus or not? The Aguda says that even though Kalatara Kudu we say that Shikra is an onus, forgetting is treated as, as an excuse, but not in this case. Why? Because he had a chance to remember before. And if at the very, if you leave things to the very end of Shloshim Yom, if you wait until the very end, and then you forgot, then your forgetting is not an excuse because what happened the 29 days before, what happened that morning? So if you are lazy, if you postpone, if you procrastinate, it's not good. Never. This paper Aguda has a lot of problems with it because the Choshen attacks them and the, and the Chassan Sofer attacks them and the Yeshua Yaakov attacks them. The Yeshua Yaakov attacks them on the basis of our Gemara. Because from our Gemara, you can see that this man waited till the end of the 30th day. And he took Chazuda, sorry. So you see that the question is, is it an onus? Isn't it an onus? You have to discuss according to our Gemara. So that's two different opinions. But this, this machlokas between the Sefer Aguda, Shavu Yaakov, and others has a, a great deal of, of, of repercussions in Akron. I'm not going to go into that. I'll leave it to your Rashi Shibbat to talk about it. What I want to say is simply to learn from this Gemara, from this Aguda, one little thing. Not to forget it. If you postpone to the last day, it simply will not be an excuse. Waiting until it's too late to do something about it, and then saying, my gosh, I forgot, I can't do it now, that kind of onus is no good. Because most of the Ahronim Paskin, that waiting for the end and then having Shikha is not an onus. Now tell you something, even according to those who have would say that waiting to the last day and then forgetting is an onus, my, my grandfather, Zechazadik, brother, once told me, there's no distance or anything you should know, that it is true that onus nachamana pasa, if you're an onus, nachamana pasa, the Torah forgives. When it comes to Talmud Torah also, onus nachamana pasa, but a Talmud Chochim you can't become that way. You may have excuses. I don't think they're valid. But even if they are valid, they'll never make you into a scholar. They'll never make you into a Talmud Chochim. So my dear friends, dear Talmudim, you're beginning a new term, a new opportunity for achievement, for growth, Remember that postponement and procrastination to the point where you have to cram is unacceptable. Cramming is not studying. Allah does not accept that kind of excuse. Procrastination is very poor policy indeed. You can never tell when a flood is going to block you, when your ferry or plane will not arrive, when your studies will be irrevocably interrupted. I urge you to begin now, the beginning of this matter, with a sense of orderliness and system in your learning. And then the Esaf Hashem, you will succeed handsomely. And this year will be a banner year for your learning, for your studies, for your personal, intellectual, and religious, and spiritual, and moral growth. I wish all of you, all the, the Rosh Hashivas, the faculty, administration, all our Talmudim, wherever they may be, the year of Chayim, the Shalom, year of life and health, you and your families, a year of the kind of peace and serenity that will allow you to become very excited by your work, 
and to achieve a great deal a year of creativity and growth and always may this be a year of Siva, but I think that's all about